0: I talk to myself all the time.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Function Call. Today on the show, I've got uh, Mr. Glidewell Grant.
0: I'll take it. Hello. My name is Grant.
1: And we've also got AJ Zane. Who hasn't been able to say anything because wow. we're actually expecting him. We're actually expecting him to drop in a bit later on. Um, my name is Austin Gill, and yeah, we got a fun show today. Uh, but before we get into that, how you doing, Grant?
0: I'm all right, man. I'm all right. How's it's, your week uh, going? Uh, it's, it's it's good and bad. It's good and bad. I took a little bit of time off to uh, To go and like ride my bike, hit some some trails up in like Aliso Viejo, and then I went out to a place called Greer Ranch. Um, but it turns out when you ride a mountain bike very hard, you break things. And uh, my chainstay appears much? to be cracked. What's that? <laughs> is that? Humble brag much? I'm just saying. I, I broke guess you're just my saying bike. that
1: I don't I don't ride hard enough because I didn't break my bike. Is what you're saying? Oh.
0: Or your bike is made by some some company, not Canyon. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah I was noticing you were posting a lot of fo- a lot of videos lately, and I was like, dang, he's yeah. he's like really not working a whole lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's is, uh, yeah, there's, good for you there's, for
1: uh, taking some time off.
0: You know, yeah, you got to. But I've, I've also, during about the same time, uh, had like a little uh, little cold, was like a little sick. No, it's not COVID. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm okay and, and uh, recovering from that. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, as soon as you take time off, you're going to get sick.
1: It's yeah.
0: just how it works sometimes.
1: That's how it works. I didn't make the rules.
0: Well, whoever did
1: them. Ooh. Speaking of rules, uh today mm. we're going to be taught. Talk- yeah, you like where we're going with this, right?
0: This is a smooth going- transition.
1: <laughs> Ooh It's like butter. It's like yes. penzoil. Slick. Um, it's
0: like butter. It's like pen No one has ever said this. Uh, I
1: say it. I, what do you mean? Someone has said that. Someone, come on. You know how long people and words have existed. Someone has said that.
0: It's like penzoil No
1: one. Yeah, it's no it's one. slick. It's slick like penzoil I got that from a friend from high school. So really, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Did this? Ha- I'm not original
1: this, enough to come up with that. Did this I'm pretty ha- original? Just kidding. But
0: did, I, I'm so curious about this. Um, where we can come back where to it some other time. Re, no regionally where did that come from <laughs>
1: uh like where did I go to high school yeah uh I don't know if I want to give out that information you know there's like you're you're <laughs> trying to fish me you're trying to fish me for some security questions what was your high school mascot that was a security question on many websites uh, I just want to know if
0: it if it's west coast Midwest Southwest, mm, West coast
1: west coast west coast,
0: west coast.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Fine. That's all I wanted to know because this this sounds <laughs> like something very yeah. weird.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that that didn't throw completely throw off my smooth transition too. It just like got <laughs> it, us right. It really got us right in there to talk slick about
0: like pens oil.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about rules, which is related to CSS. And today we're talking about um, CSS resets. This was a topic that I wanted to talk about because uh, in the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks, it's been quite near and dear to my heart because I am currently working on my own little project that's like a CSS reset. I actually have two projects that I
0: want to talk about, but humble um, brag, we'll get into that later. Someone's got two projects.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, well, anyway, that's 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 the why of why we're talking about this. So we're talking about uh CSS resets, normalizers, uh, maybe a little bit of like frameworks in there too, and just like um I think uh I think it came up it, I think it's a good topic because even talking about it before the show, you were like um a little bit unsure what a reset was.
0: Oh, you're so kind. I genuinely have no idea what these (laughs) things are for or, like, why somebody might use them. So you used a couple of different terms. You used the term normalizer, and then you also Mm -hmm. used the term reset. And in in my Mm -hmm. head, I'm like, okay, I'm doing a project. I'm like, okay, create React app, do React. And then I write CSS, and that's it, right? Like, in in my mind, this is enough. I'm going to do some CSS. I know some flex box. I can flex that flex box. We're going to get some layout together, and it's good. Like, what, what scenarios am I going to run into where a reset or a normalizer is my solution? Like, what, what, what problems do these actually solve?
1: Okay, so um, there's a little bit of history here that um, some of these things aren't such a problem anymore because we have modern browsers that follow, like, oh, what's your dog's name again? Domino. Domino. She's Domino's just, got some thoughts.
0: She's out there being a monster.
1: That's okay. Um, Nuggets also being a monster, but he's the silent monster that, you know, you never know what sort of trouble he's getting into. He's the silent um, monster. That's scary. So so CSS um, CSS has a specification on how things should work in the browser, right? And it's up to browser vendors to um, to implement either according to the spec or maybe some things aren't, aren't actually entirely like specked out. And so you have a little bit of disparity between like how Chrome renders something, how Firefox renders something or how Safari renders something. Right. Those are kind of the three big players these days. Now that I, <laughs> I can hear you're squeaking. What are you doing? <laughs> that is not distracting at all. You're like a, you're like a, yeah like an elementary school child that's, like in school
0: shit okay <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, am i boring you so oh, I, okay. I did just lay down
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so so there's uh, there's a couple of things here well i think it makes sense to talk about normalizers first since we're talking okay. about the context of browsers what a normalizer is is you have disparities between how certain elements are rendered in different browsers. So what a normalizer tries to do is, it's a CSS library that you import usually at like the beginning of a project or somewhere up high in your um, styles list. Um, and, and all it does is it doesn't really um, declare a bunch of um, opinionated styles but it just tries to make sure that everything looks the same across different browsers. So that's why it's a normalizer because it makes them look like normal. Uh, So when you look at something in Chrome and you look at something in Firefox, it looks the same. I think these things came from kind of an era where pixel perfect design was a little bit more uh, prevalent. Okay. And I think that maybe we've strayed away from that more, like at least the... The feeling the sentiment that I have about the industry is like you know it's gonna look slightly different in Firefox and Chrome, and that's okay, okay, so does that make sense what a what a normalizer is
0: Yes, yes, so a normalizer kind of bridges the gaps between uh, the different browsers so i'm I'm, I'm okay. imagining just some of the padding like inside of inputs. But I'm also wondering, like, is yeah. is, is there any uh, consideration paid to, uh, like, different platforms? So I know, like, mm. different web elements render very differently on, like, macOS versus, like, a Windows machine.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think I would have to dig into the source code because I think that they probably do have, like, particularly for, let's say, well... No, I, I was going to go into, again, they have, they probably have some browser, like, vendor specific targeting stuff, but I don't think you can target things, I don't know if you can target things in CSS for an operating system. You know, like, you can do right, things right. that are specific to Safari, which most likely is going to be on a Mac environment, or you can do things specific to IE, which is most likely going to be in a Windows environment. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that you can do anything um, with CSS alone uh, that would target an operating system. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know specifically, uh, I I think we had talked about uh, some wrapping element or, or no, when we were talking about semantic uh, HTML on one of our other shows, uh, I was talking about uh, the progress element, mm. which depending on the operating system uh, in in Windows, it renders very weird. Am, am I remembering this correctly?
1: Oh, man. Speaking of weird bugs on different operating systems, we'll go on to a little a bit of a tangent here. I had to... Sure. I filed a little, I filed a little bug on Firefox because, um, again, you know, I've been working on these, like, uh, sort of exploring what native styles are and and how you style, like, native HTML elements, and I found that if you have a button element and you give that button element um, a border, like, you try and style the border attribute somehow. So either border or border radius one, all of uh, in, in, in Ubuntu one, all of the padding on that button just changes. So normally in, or in Firefox, right? So Firefox, Mm -hmm. Ubuntu, uh, it's got maybe like eight pixels of padding or something on the left and right. But if you give it a border or a border radius, all of a sudden that padding just like disappears
0: but this only happens in ubuntu.
1: In uh, I don't I don't know cuz I I work in ubuntu so, so I don't may, know
0: maybe other Linux distros maybe but, others okay.
1: but that's like a really wild like unexpected thing. And here's yeah. the other really weird thing. Here's the other really weird thing is if you if you do if you do the border or border radius on a button and then you hover the 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 native browser agent background color disappears and it goes from like a grayish, whitish background color to transparent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How wild is that? This is like water guns shooting fire. Like you do not expect this. Yeah. (laughs) That's really really weird.
1: weird. It was, it was bizarre. And you know, fortunately like it's only Ubuntu or only Linux. And, uh, it was on a project that I was working on, like my own little project that we'll get to later. Um, So I'm not too worried about it, but it was a weird one. Yeah, like getting into like just native browser agent styles or like the bare minimum CSS stuff gets weird, which is why we have things like uh, normalizers and resets and stuff.
0: So we've gone over kind of a normalizer that bridges some gaps. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty lightweight, right?
1: Uh, It depends. So I'll say like the probably the most – Familiar one, or the one that I'm most familiar with, that I see most commonly used is normalized CSS, normalized CSS, uh, and I think that that's maybe like five kilobytes or so. Okay. Which, in the grand scheme, not not so big. Well um,
0: then, what is a reset then, by comparison?
1: Okay, so reset. Um, the most famous one that I'm familiar with is going to be by guy named eric meyer and he's been he's pretty well known in the css world
0: he's pretty Um, well known as a straight-up g oh yeah yes
1: well if grant says it it must be true
0: that dude's got because your name starts with g red
1: yeah he seems like a nice guy never met him in person but he knows what he's talking about especially when it comes to css so anyway, he maintains this library called, uh, well, Eric Meyer's CSS Reset. Um, it's available on NPM. I don't know what it's called on NPM, but he usually, like, he usually just has it on his website and keeps it up to date. And it's small enough that you can just, like, copy and paste it into a project. And what a, what a reset does is rather than trying to take all the browser styles and making them look the same, um, it kind of takes every html element and resets it to one sort of default so it removes all of the margin all of the padding all the borders Um, it removes list style types on list elements and just like everything kind of comes back to looking like a paragraph tag and that's like um it's it's kind of an interesting approach yeah it's (laughs) a a nuclear
0: option that is a
1: yeah yeah it's a sledgehammer approach yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because on one hand, um, it you're probably going to end up getting rid of a bunch of uh, browser agent styling anyway and uh, writing your own styles. Like, that's... Um, yeah, like you're gonna, so so it makes sense to have like one starting point and then you kind of like expand from there. And the 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 benefit of it being a nuclear option is because you can just like target everything and reset everything. Um it's it's not so like nothing falls through the cracks. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's uh th- this seems like it would be a good tool if you're building uh I don't want to say like a style guide, but but like a like a a component library that has complete coverage if if that makes sense right or <laughs> like this is you're only able to use our components and don't do anything else cuz
1: so essentially like it it's not a a reset where it like encapsulates all of the styles and just like says you know these are the styles you're going to use it it rather like takes everything and resets it to a, a singular baseline upon which you have to then define everything that you want because the browser is now not going to like provide anything for you. So
0: instead of let's make everything about the same across browsers, this, this is a normalizer, uh, this is everything is 14-point uh, font and like... 300 weight and line height is 16 pixels and whatever. Like everything is the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably going to do something. It's it's basically going to take everything and take all of the opinions away and say, cool, start with this and build your opinions on top of this. So like what the font size is going to be, uh, font weight, um, margin padding. I mean, the big ones are like, the, the ones that you would notice is like margin padding. If you go from default um, browser native styles, uh, every, like, you know, text elements, paragraphs, headings, they have some margin, yeah. right? After using a reset, or at least like Eric Myers reset, no padding. Uh, no, sorry, no margin, no padding, whatever. And so it's interesting because on one hand... Uh, i don't know i I probably am super guilty of um premature optimization and um you know i'll look at something like a, a normalizer and be like yeah that's cool but i'm gonna take all these styles i'm gonna add like this extra library to put these styles onto a page to make my to make all the things look the same across browsers and then i'm after that i'm going to also add my own styles according to my style guide that makes my things look how i want them to look which isn't what the native browser agent styles is what i want anyway you know like like, a, a normalizer kind of seems pointless to me when you're just going to go ahead and write your own styles on top of that anyway.
0: Yeah, I kind of get that. But it, so, like, uh, I would have kind of the other opinion where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, you, your H1 is going to be – should be bigger than your H2. Why – like, why reinvent the wheel?
1: Yeah, it's weird. So anyway, I've, I decided to like, uh, I'll introduce these two projects that I have, right? One of them is called style check. And what it does is it takes, it lets you um, import a source CSS file, which can come from uh, a list of some of the common ones that I have in the project available. And you can import it from like a, a little dropdown and choose them. Uh, Or you can put a URL to a hosted style sheet somewhere, like uh, either off of NPM or maybe you have it hosted on your server somewhere. Uh, Or you can import a file from your local machine. Or you can just like write into a text box, right? And so it takes those, whatever sources you have available, and then it will apply those styles onto an iframe. And that iframe is just plain HTML. So there's no classes. It's just a list of I don't know. Let's say the ninety-five percent of the HTML elements that you would. You're not use. kidding. There's a
0: ton of elements uh, here, and it, wow, is there just is a lot of elements.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and and you know, I mean, I think that people people use like people's markup is going to be different in your own project than what's there. But if you were to just like drop this onto a page, you can see how those CSS sources impact, uh, just plain HTML. So if you want, you can even like stack them. You could import uh normalized CSS and then bootstrap and then whatever and see like what the result would be. And I kind of built this because I wanted a tool to, to be able to kind of audit how CSS is impacting like just the base plain html that i'm loading on a project. Part of part of this comes from like my agency background where we di- we didn't know what the client was we didn't know what elements were going to end up on a page because a client would eventually have a cms and they would have access to put, you know, block quotes or whatever onto a page and and clients put like the craziest stuff yeah. out there and so you want to make sure, yeah. You want to make sure when you hand the keys over to their website, like they don't come at you and like a week later, like, hey, why is this page looking all blown up? Like, why is this? Well, one of your know,
0: editors like, shouldn't you have to permission sure to publish.
1: They, yeah, but you know, like if you if you can if you can make sure that all of the HTML like that you would expect um, is covered and looks good, then. Uh, You know, you can save yourself. Yeah, I mean
0: that's that's a whole other show's conversation about like, I'm a big fan of removing the power of publishers to make any kind of layout change. Like this is unacceptable. That's not your job. Do not do this.
1: Well, so that's the thing is I'm not I'm not talking about layout changes, right? I'm talking about content. So if you look at like styles check, like you're not going to have the ability to check the effects on a main or a div or a span or header or footer, because those, those elements are not, um, not necessarily visual elements. Like they don't necessarily get styles by default. Those are, um, elements that are maybe used for layout. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about, uh, content mm-hmm. elements, you know, tables, whatever. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But I, I like I don't I agree that clients shouldn't Well, no, I don't know if I agree. Should clients be able to modify layouts? No,
0: never. Absolutely it not. It
1: depends. It depends.
0: I will die on this hill.
1: What about okay Okay, what about this? What about uh, like I'm thinking like the Washington Post, they have those really nice or New York Times have those really nice in depth uh, articles where you have like content in different positions, right? What if you What if you wanted a, a, a blog post or an article that, you know, somewhere in the middle, you have like a three column layout with like three images. That's layout, right? Yeah. Like a client should be able to add a client should be able to add a three column layout.
0: Yeah, but not arbitrarily. They shouldn't be able to just say on their own, this is what I want. You need to create a corresponding component to consume that data as like raw data, not as something mm. that somehow like dictates layout. Absolutely not. So like anything, and, and so like this is, this is something that um, I, I think a lot of agency work is moving in this direction if the agency is smart. Um, limiting the capability of their clients, removing uh, what have been referred to uh, by the, the wise Stuart Runyon, um, removing what are called foot guns, um, th- this is a really important measure in like modern web development. And this is something that I've been a huge advocate for for a long time. Um, no, content editors should not have layout control at all. Should they see? what their content looks like in a layout? Absolutely. Should they be able to preview? Should they be able to uh, like randomly add different components that already exist that are, are able to uh, be kind of popped in and out of and all around uh, a component based layout? Absolutely. Like you should be able to drag and drop to your heart's content, but all of this needs to be developed and engineered to work correctly beforehand. And then your CMS needs to handle like all of the hard parts around that. But the engineers need to build those components and have the kind of previewability there. I mean, so we're we're getting pretty far off uh, on this. <laughs> That's uh, right. it's, it's like, but it's a big deal because what happens when you allow somebody to arbitrarily add, Styles, inline styles, is those can leak and create problems on your page that you didn't anticipate. And something that I've seen a lot that I have refused to allow in any project I've ever worked on is arbitrarily injecting script like, hey, we need this JavaScript on this page to do this. Absolutely not. Until it's been reviewed, and, and I'm finally at a company where they're like, their security standards are too high, they're, just, they're gonna say no before it even lands in front of me. Like, I'm grateful for that. Um, but like, working with clients who are like, no, we need this script to do this thing. I'm like, where did you hear about this? What does it do? How big is it? Like, they don't even know, they don't care. They want it to do a fucking sparkle bunny thing on their page, and they want their CMS to allow them to do this. And it's absolutely wrong and it's not okay. And they ruin their own website that they're paying a company to help them create. It's like, all right, I'm going to buy a car from Tesla. Now, Tesla allows you to go through, like, the customization process and, like, oh, I want ostrich leather stretched across my shitty seats, right? Like, all right, if you have poor taste, they will allow you to go that far. But they won't allow you to have their engineers bolt lawn chairs into a Tesla because that doesn't meet safety spec, and they couldn't sell that car legally in America. And honestly, like, or or in Europe, like, NCAP standards are much higher than than US like DOT standards. So like, we need to be the arbiters of not just common sense when it comes to the internet, but safety, security, consistency, accessibility. Anyway, wow, I got a little bit. Oh, ooh. Okay, I'm just gonna breathe for a minute.
1: Saying, 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 web developers should be the arbiters of accessibility. hundred percent. Yeah, that's uh, good luck with that one. It's and security, right? Like, it's it, it's wild. I have such a mixed feelings on that because it's like, if I want to be a web developer, I can go and like self teach and or like self learn or whatever, and then start yeah. building stuff, and no one, no one cares. And like, and not even web developer, but like a software engineer or whatever, right? And then I can get a job and eventually work at a company where I'm making like pacemakers that make sure that people stay alive or like all of the software that lives anywhere or like go work at Tesla and, you know, start working on code that drives the car and controls whether it goes faster or slower or brakes. And it's like, man, the amount of power that we have. To, you know, the impact that we can have on lives is everything is digital. Everything needs software. And therefore, developers.
0: So, yeah, I've, I've worked with people and know people who work in, in the medical industry. And the software in pacemakers and medical equipment is, like, heavily vetted uh, and... It's not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and the software and wild,
1: wild west out there. I but. mean,
0: dude, I don't know what Elon does like to test his engineers. Like, I don't know what that life is about. But uh, you know, autopilot seems to work better than most humans driving and texting. Oh,
1: well, that's good. That's yeah. that's true.
0: I mean, as as someone who rides Dang. on two wheels, you you know very well how dangerous humans when they're distracted can be.
1: Yeah. Oh, looks like AJ's popping in. Hello. Um,
0: Hello. Hello. Hello.
1: AJ, you're black, and I don't mean that. I mean hey. the camera's black. I mean you're black too. But, oh, there he is.
2: <laughs> I figured out technology. There's this What's cool up, thing my dude? You where you can uh, cover your your laptop camera and uh it's it's very advanced People
1: technology. Can't see you.
0: We have the technology.
1: Yeah. Man, that beard is growing in, huh?
0: I, actually, just, that's the fuzziest I've ever seen you.
1: So, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> what that means. Oh wow! That second puberty is rough. Indeed. Um. But anyway, we were just talking. Uh, we were talking some some CSS resets and normalizers so is it safe to assume that you know about resets and normalizers
2: give me a second to reset my brain and normalize my css knowledge and i'll get back to you oh
1: gosh okay so quick quick overview normalizers make everything look the same across different browsers uh, because there is a little bit of disparity between you know different browsers and a reset resets everything back to like a bare minimum. So removes font size, font weight padding margin on all of the default like browser agent or user agent styles. Right. Have we, um, and so the CSS reset is, is like a very lightweight sledgehammer that just like totally destroys any native styles um, which is cool if you want to go ahead and, like, re uh, redeclare like, all of those styles and redefine them back to what you want. Um, and a normalizer is cool if you really want, uh, like, pixel-perfect um, accuracy across pixel different perfect browsers. Pixel-perfect pixels. But it's also, like, the ones that I'm familiar with are, uh, yeah, the, the, the ones that I'm familiar with like they it's not like a it's not necessarily like a tiny library right so anyway I, I've been working on this idea and this project that's like I kind of want something that's in between a CSS and a normalizer and like a framework and so now we haven't really discussed CSS frameworks but I uh, kind of assume that people are familiar so these are going to be things like bootstrap foundation um, there's also some CSS frameworks that Uh, don't rely on classes Um, there's like a new breed of css frameworks that are just like if you write semantic css uh, it'll display stuff in the browser differently which are pretty cool Um, and and so a framework kind of tries to do this thing where it makes things look not just the same but actually have like very opinionated styles like an input should have rounded borders and should have five pixels of padding and should have a background of gray or whatever and if it's like invalid it should have a border color of red and when it's valid it should have a border color of green or whatever right they're like much heavier solutions um much more uh styled and like built out it's like a full-on framework um but it's also like much more opinionated and if, if it doesn't if, if it doesn't match what you want your design to look like, then you end up having to overwrite uh, some of their design choices and you end up importing extra CSS that you are not going to use because you overwrite it, right? So I kind of wanted something that's like in between all of that, something that's just opinionated enough as like a good starting point. And it's like, look, you're going to want to have these styles defined for whatever your let's say like your inputs are going to look like. Um, So a good example of this is like every project that I work on, every project that I work on, I want my input, my inputs to take up 100% width and have like the the sort of parent or the layout determine what the input's width should be. Like a form should have a width and then that input should just take up the full width of the form, right?
0: I'm, I'm seeing some, uh, some very so wide radio certain, buttons.
1: Uh, yes. So you so you don't do it for things like radio buttons or checkboxes. There's a bunch that you like...
0: The commit. widest um, checkboxes. But it's kind of like... Sorry, I'm being yeah. kind of facetious.
2: It's better <laughs> for mobile.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can't... I mean, it's mm-hmm. easier to hit, right? You, you can hit it hard.
0: with... Left thumb, right thumb, it's all good.
1: So, dude, you could hit it with your Whoa. pinky. Still be right on. Yeah.
0: Precision um, instrument right here.
1: I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I've been just, like, thinking about this sort of thing, and, like, you know what? I, I ended up starting to, starting to build it. Starting to build a thing that I wanted. Uh, and so I have this this project called Bedrocks, B-E-D-R-O-C-S-S.
0: Dude, that and is such a good name.
1: Um it's an all right name it's a it's that it first.
0: That, I, yeah
2: no that's great
0: i think it's yeah, yeah. it's like but a Hanna then, so barbera like, i think it's like fan bedrocks <laughs> is great <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah i think i mean if you're going to launch anything publicly like you kind of have to say you have to take some time to think about a good name because i'll i will install between two different libraries that do a similar thing i'll install the one that like sounds better even if it's mining crypto on my machine like <laughs> it sounds good you
0: know? the one with the clever name always wins uh, out yeah. which is interesting
2: yeah. we're also brandy
0: uh yeah i am for sure yeah. that's interesting i don't deny it
1: bedrock and, and i'm not here to like tout my own project but two i think projects. It, it's like a good that's what we're going to call example. you from now on
0: mr two projects
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm not here to <laughs> tout one project i'm here to tout <laughs> two um, but it's a good it's a good example of like um of this kind of concept that I've been playing around with right and maybe I'm not the best to to do it but maybe people listening can have other ideas uh, but I wanted something that was kind of in between a reset because there are some things that you know like the I think I think the web development community has agreed upon certain standards such as setting box sizing to border box Um Maybe like removing top margins so that you're not dealing with this like confusing collapsing margins things. I think things like having one hundred percent width on inputs makes a lot of sense uh having images that if you have an image that's that's way big uh it's not going to make the browser overflow like have a scroll bar to overflow it'll be like maximum one hundred percent width and whatever there's a bunch of rules there's a bunch of things in there that I think are like kind of a combination again of uh, a reset that just like resets things back to normal, a normalizer that makes things look the same across different browsers. uh, But then also like a little bit of those opinionated things uh, that come from like framework uh, world where it's like, no, I I think that, I think that everyone's just going to want certain things to look a certain way. Um, And then you also get a little bit of like, unless you're using a tool like style check or, or you have your own list of every single HTML element that you're going to look at, like you're probably going to have things fall through the cracks. So there's a little bit of, you know, making sure that everything looks good to a certain baseline, you know? So I don't know if you guys have, if you guys have thoughts on that, but that's, what's been rolling through my head recently.
0: So with most things that involve CSS, I, I try to keep my thoughts to a minimum Um, it's, it's one of those things like you, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like we're going to talk about a little bit of history and then we're going to talk a little bit about the spec. Uh, and then Eric Meyer gets involved in it and it's like, I think he's a spec author. Um, and then for him to go through and, and like none of this is styled now (laughs) is like, I think it's very telling as far as the state of CSS. And like, I, I like CSS. I think it's very cool. I think there's lots of, like, really nice modern things happening with it. But I think uh, as far as consensus goes, um, people who are into CSS probably, yes. But I think there's, like, a swath of developers out there uh, that pride themselves on not knowing CSS and not wanting to know it. Um, And and I think that... um, I think that's problematic in, in some places, Um, but in other places um, where let's say there's, there's companies that can afford to hire people who are very into CSS and afford to hire people who are much more into like middle end, like application development, then, you know, you, you can afford to specialize, but you had kind of mentioned at, uh, at like an agency, That's where I think this stuff really thrives and and matters and comes from is where like small teams have to be scrappy and have to get by and have to develop rules, uh, that will work across lots of different projects. And it's funny to me how dominant the agency, uh, I, I do not like the term, uh, and I won't use it. Cool. Uh it's funny to me how dominant the agency approach is across other areas of web development. Um, and I think it's because a lot of people come through an agency at one point or another, it's like this rite of passage. And I, I did Mm. a little bit of time in an agency and to be, to be totally honest, like I didn't get the super rough agency experience. I was sheltered from a lot of it and I really appreciate that. Um, my boss at the time was, like, super chill and shielded me from a lot of, like, crazy stuff that I hear about that happens in agencies. Um, but I do think that that's the tail wagging the dog. Um, I think that, and, and this is this is a bit uh, maybe gatekeepy, but not every project should be built with an attitude that comes from like scrappy agencies that are like we have to churn out lots of sites or we have to churn out um, sites very quickly or we're under the thumb of some wildly vacillating um, expectations from our clients. Like the constraints in agency land um, s- seem to have way too heavy a bearing on the rest of web development. I think that's where a lot of this yes. like CSS reset stuff comes from is like, we just need a clean slate or we need, we need it to look the same across all these browsers. Um, that's
2: really interesting because, um, you know, like w- what you're saying, right, the agency approach... Is very much rooted in. An agency wants to have a standard platform, you know, and I think that's why a lot of agencies agree on making client websites in WordPress or Drupal because it's a known framework, and you can keep working forward from framework or from the same basis from project to project. Um, And I was going to ask about Modernizer, and if either of you have used that. And that did kind of what you're saying, Grant, of, yeah, it it kind of normalized the browser and the CSS that you would have to deal with, along with a little bit of JavaScript, too. So you could be sure that as long as you had Modernizer in your build stack, uh, you would have a very safe, normalized familiar framework to work around and that way you could speed up your development. Yeah,
1: I was, I was actually going to mention modernizer. I didn't because it's a JavaScript library, but it's totally like it was in my thoughts as well. It is right there for like a normalizing experience to see, you know, actually Grant was asking about uh, a way to detect operating systems And I told him, you know, with CSS alone, no, you can't. But if you do have JavaScript enabled, then, yeah, you can add things to your HTML that, like, then you can target Mm -hmm. for operating systems. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Grant, I kind of get what you're saying. Um, And on one hand, you know, it, it sounds like... Uh, let's say if you're working like product versus agency work, right? Like if you're working on a product, maybe you don't have to worry about things looking the same cross browser. Like the, the, the appeal of a modernizer or a, or sorry, a normalize or like a CSS reset isn't there because you have a single product. You can maybe determine like you can make the call, right? You're the, well, you, you, the company or organization, you are the, stakeholder that makes the final call whether it needs to look exactly the same on chrome or fire and firefox or not um and that like that having that decision is much different than having a client that it you know is going to call and say like hey it looks kind of funny on ie like what's the deal um so yeah on one hand I, i kind of agree with that on on the other hand i think that I think that, as a developer, I value being able to use um, packages or libraries and trust that they do what they do and not have to like <clears throat> trust that I don't have to think about that problem like I don't have to think about um this looking different on uh Firefox and Chrome or I like I don't have to think about some weird quirks that come in Safari with with mm-hmm. margins or paddings because it all just gets reset anyway and the only padding that this that these elements get are the ones that I yep. give them. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. Know? I think yep. there's value there. That's, I've I've moved more towards uh, so, like the Google. Yeah. Um, whatever their design library is now because I know that the Google engineers have spent all the time making sure that they have this constant lexicon of UI elements, user experience, animation, and all of that. And I know that it's going to work across all the browser, browsers, devices, stuff like that.
0: But is it accessible?
2: Yeah. So so the other thing... And that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> And that touches on an interesting thing. Another, another like sort of pain point is as we, as the world of web development moves more towards these um, componentized things. um, One, one sort of pain point that I have is when I have like a whole page of, I don't know, some like I'm building out a page and the entire page that I'm building, every single thing is a component. Like I'm no longer writing Mm -hmm. HTML I am stitching together component after component. And, and it, you get into this really weird uh, relationship with the code where you're so abstracted from the actual, like, quote-unquote, like where the rubber meets the road, like the actual code that's going to the browser, that it's like your relationship with it is so distant, you know? Yep. And, I, and I, I just like the idea that if I'm using a component library... I'm using it because it's going to look good, and I can trust that it's going to look good, and, and these developers have thought about it, right? But I also want to know that if I fall back to just writing HTML, that's also going to look good. Hmm. Yeah, that's you know? interesting. I don't know. I'm like I'm a, I'm kind yeah. of like a purist when it comes to like I I like writing just HTML, CSS, and just but like
2: I feel like JavaScript. it's the same thread of the same idea where back in the day right when we were all yeah. writing actual html uh we needed these libraries and stuff to help reset css so that we could you know make sure that the weird issues in ie10 didn't get um exposed in chrome you know and now we're getting to the point where uh you can take the google calendar component and drop that into your application and it's kind of like this weird middle stage of like how much do we care about the CSS now versus how much do we want to just pull in from some other team's work? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the thing that irks me is having to follow like such a prescribed framework. Like some frameworks are just so like you have to do things the frameworks way. Hmm. Um. I agree. And I'm, you know, I'm a. I don't know. I like to um, I like to just like get loosey goosey with my code, I guess. And I like to, I like to be a, what is it like, a <laughs> maverick?
2: Yeah, we've talked about this before. No, I'm just kidding.
1: But like that, that you know.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, I don't know. Grant, you I, like yeah, yeah, I thoughts.
0: did. They're gone now. I now it's just <laughs> empty head, no thoughts. It's <laughs> nice in here. Oh, it's cozy.
1: Okay. Well, that's cool too.
0: No, but I you so like I.
1: Yeah, I, I see, back I see you guys area. kind of
0: like waxing poetic about, you know, your, your kind of thoughts and opinions on this. And I just think it's, it's so much more, uh, kind of courses for horses and, and tools for jobs. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I see Drupal developers, uh, kind of like, like, uh, like they've got their framing hammer and they've got their lumber and they're just going to, you know, put this house up, uh, Mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they know where each of the beams go. And, you know, people who work construction, uh, know by now, I know nothing about how, house framing works. Uh, it's probably not done with a hammer, uh, maybe like a pneumatic, uh, nail gun. That sounds really cool. Um, those are dangerous though. Anyway, uh, probably powder driven cause pneumatic is, is, uh, like old school, but it, my my point is this,
2: right? You're, you're talking about physical things.
0: There, there are tools for specific jobs, and I think that, like, there are lots of tools around, like, building websites. And mm. uh, I think what I failed to articulate earlier is that I think they are wrongly applied to building web applications um, where, yes, a CSS reset and... Uh, it, might, might work, but what you really need to build is, is your, uh, your, your design library. Like you, you need to have a strong component library for people to build with. Um, and that's something that I see fail a lot because like what you're saying, uh, I, I, you know, if I need to create an unordered list and we don't have components for that, I need to know that it looks good in this same library, Right. Well, if you don't have components for an unordered list, you have failed at making your UI library. But that's besides the point. Um, I think the point you're making is is an important one, which is that even if you're working within a library, um, the the styling needs to be applied in a way where that also fits. Unless I misunderstood what you were saying. I, is the
2: is the is. Am I the you? Oh, I was talking to Austin, okay. but I think we lost him. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna jump in and uh, say I disagree. Cool. In in some ways, what you're saying that um, instead of you know taking ownership over, for example, uh, a list of elements and what they look like, um, if you can have the opportunity to pull in someone else's library and all of their hard work. Um, then you don't need to think about it. And you can be very comfortable knowing that you have this library to sit on, apply, and know that it's not going to break versus spending the time building it yourself. Which I'm not saying is not an invaluable exercise. Like, I think everyone should go through that. But um, when you get to the point where, it you just need to make a list of elements and you have some component, go for it.
0: What do you think of that? I don't disagree with oh, no, it, but I, I, think, I think there's a lot of, I think Austin's like gone. Um, there's, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, I have no idea what Austin is doing. He's lost I think it. He's trying to sign. He's out of his. He's gone. This is
2: a fun one for
0: the listeners. Yeah, the, those so. those of you who are watching this live, uh, it's weird. So, it, I think relying on UI libraries starts to fall apart when you have a very kind of custom application. Yeah, I hear you clapping.
2: Oh, there you go. Oh.
0: and i hear you typing
2: (laughs) welcome to
0: Uh, the internet yeah oh there we go it's it's hard (laughs) okay so i think relying on ui UI libraries that are not yours can can run you into some corners uh there are very few Mm -hmm. escape hatches Mm -hmm. where if you need something really custom it
2: Yes, I agree um, in that, right, you're you're giving up customizability mm-hmm. for ease of use. Um, and so that's just the balance that you have to play, I feel like.
0: Yeah, and I think depending on the application, that can work. But something like Material UI, mm-hmm. which, to be fair, uh, I hate, um, most of these Uh-oh. libraries... Uh, yeah, I see you. I I can hear you. I can see you. Um, most of these libraries in their, in their, uh, like bylines, they're like for quick prototyping, like that's their whole deal is Mm. like, Ooh, quickly prototype. And, 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 you know, at least in, in the work that I want to do, like, I don't want to build quick prototypes. I want to build like. You know a complete application from front to back, and if that involves building and designing a, a UI library for that specific application, so be it, or, or adapting one uh, that has the flexibility built in. We did a show recently where I talked about um, a CSS and JS library called Emotion, and something that we're building with this is a UI library where if you're using this, the escape hatch is very easy. Um, you can overwrite and customize absolutely every element that we're putting putting out from this, um, but it comes with very strong styling in the first place. So it's, it's not like Material UI um, where you have this heavy, heavy nesting uh, API, which is, like, gnarly to work with. Oh, man, do you have to just lean heavily on the docs to get things done? Um, maybe they've fixed that. I don't know. But, like... This this comes with uh a very specific aesthetic that if it works for your application is good.
2: And I think that you know, the It's a lot of points. We can probably do a follow up episode about just this. Um but you know, thinking about building applications and building applications quickly and building applications sustainably those are two completely different questions um and what i've found is that relying on these frameworks lets us build not only quickly but also sustainably because we have this platform that we can rely on um and so, like you said, you know, with Google Material, right, it's great for spinning stuff up really fast, but it's also great at um, being able to bring new developers onto your team and, you know, like having the exact same lexicon around how you're building stuff.
0: It's, it's actually it's funny you say that. Uh, there was a, a developer that I was working with, um, to try and, like, he had, he had gone through, like, a code school and he was, like, um, kind of lost as far as, like, hey, how do I get a job? And I'm, like, look at companies around you, see what they're doing, uh, and and learn something from them. And he's, like, well, what about Material UI? Should I learn Material UI? And I'm, like, let's, hmm. let's dive into it together. You can learn it. See if it's useful. Uh, he learned Material UI. He went interviewed for a job the following week and got hired because he was familiar with material UI because he could be quickly no way, onboarded. Really? Yeah. Like what? this was like <laughs> magic for this dude. And I was like so happy for him. I haven't spoken to him since. Like he was just like, I got a wow. job. We're set. But
2: that's amazing. Yeah.
0: But like it was super cool. And what you're saying makes perfect sense. Like if I am looking to hire somebody, I want them to know my stack. And if my stack is accessible mm-hmm. if I'm using Ant Design, if I'm using Material UI, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the more you get into building highly custom stacks, you increase onboarding time, you decrease that kind of efficiency of being able to hit the ground running. Um, so that, that can be mm-hmm. a downside. I definitely hear you there. That makes sense.
2: Right, yeah. There are, they're, they're, of course, pros and cons, like everything, <laughs> Um, and I think that, uh, it's interesting that we can see this evolution of how we started off saying, I want IE 8 to look like Firefox, (laughs) to, um, I want, I want uh, a team that can use Google material. Um, yeah, so... That's great. Okay. So, do we want to wrap up? Let's do pics. Let's, let's
0: uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about
2: try picks. to find Austin in the vortex that is the internet that he dropped into.
0: Are you still talking on the show? Yes,
2: we're still talking on the show.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Yeah. Let's, we lost let's do
0: picks. Do you have one or should I go? Oh,
2: by the way, uh, I got one. Okay. And it is hammocks. Oh, what? Hammocks are awesome. Yeah. And if you didn't know, Hammocks don't just have to be outside. You can put a hammock in your kitchen.
0: Uh, Okay. I mean, this seems like a dangerous way to, to like, boil water.
2: Why are you boiling water in your hammock?
0: (laughs) I think that's probably a better question. You're right.
2: (laughs) You cook hamburgers in your hammock.
0: Also seems very dangerous. (laughs)
2: But yes, hammocks are awesome. Um, when COVID started, uh, I randomly ended up with a hammock, and the only space I had that was big enough for it was the kitchen. So I put the hammock in the kitchen, and it was amazing. Wow! So, hammocks are great, and never feel like you can't have a hammock.
0: <laughs> There's always room for it. It's like Jello. There's always room for a hammock. <laughs> oh man.
2: Exactly. What do you got, Grant?
0: Um, what did I do recently that... Uh, oh, uh, yeah, my pick is going to be take time off work. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, or work less. Uh, go, go do something that entertains you. Um, mm-hmm. Work is massively do overrated.
2: You any, do you have any quarantine safe suggestions for what to do when you're not working
0: oh I, I go ride my mountain bike um and generally that's away from people and close to snakes which is not great but you know it's good
2: that sounds just as dangerous
0: <laughs> snakes and people high level of <laughs> danger <laughs> uh cool. austin what are you what, what's your pick he can't hear us. This is broken. Yeah, he can't. The internet is
2: fun. Yeah. He he posted something. Uh, he said, oh, style check and bedrocks. Oh, yes. So this is what we've been talking about. Uh, Austin's working on this really cool project. Um, Grant, let me know if I'm way off. But I think it's called Style Check. Yes. And it's based on bedrocks, which is... Bedrock, Bedro CSS, Bedro
0: CSS. It's so, Bedro CSS. Yeah,
2: a very, <laughs> very cool pun there. Um, but the whole concept is that uh, you get this template and you can put in different elements and element styles for things like headings, paragraph, etc. And you can see them react instantly to your CSS library which is exactly what we've been talking about today. Uh, it's really cool. I poked around, on it? Did Did you? I didn't.
0: No, right. no. I, I, I clicked on the link yeah. when he sent it, and it was a whole bunch of, like, markup on the page, and I was like, nope, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> 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 we're, we're, like, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's, a couple of weeks away from a big launch, and so there's heavy pressure on engineering right now. Mm, so mm-hmm. I'm... I understand
2: that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very fun library. Uh definitely check it out. I don't know what the URL is. Um, I think it's
0: off the top of my head. Style-check uh com. Yes. Ooh.
2: You also have to know how to spell stegosaurus.
0: Stegosaurus, it's like a stegosaurus, but source code. It's a great name, again, like bedrocks. hmm Yeah,
2: Austin's great at branding.
0: He is. He is. Um
2: he is, yeah um so check that out cool play with it um especially if you are a developer and working on making sure the text and stuff looks correct with that
0: yeah so we're gonna wrap it up uh thanks everybody uh, yeah. uh i hope you enjoyed your time here uh sans austin towards the end um might have been a little bit more peaceful with, with, uh, with his absence. I don't know. A bit more, bit more zen happening. Uh, uh, all right. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.
2: The Function Call was edited, mixed, and mastered by Kato Zane. See her work at katonoise.com. For show notes, other episodes, and more information about the show, visit our website at thefncall.com.